0: got arrested as he was about to leave the country to make a second attempt at marketing the secrets he had stolen.
1: Hi, I'm Fred Burton, and welcome to the Stratfor Pen and Sword podcast. I'm here today with Udigit Bhattacharjee, who has written The Spy Who Couldn't Spell, A Dyslexic Traitor, An Unbreakable Code, and the FBI's Hunt for America's Stolen Secrets. Udigit, welcome to our podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me on, Fred.
1: How did you learn of this case?
0: Well, so back in 2007, um, I was working at Science Magazine as a writer. I used to cover a variety of science topics there. Uh, And I happened to go to cover the FBI's investigation of the anthrax letter attacks.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember that.
0: From 2001. Sure. Yes, yes. (laughs) That was quite a story. Uh, But while I was there attending a press conference at the FBI building, I I sort of became friends with uh, the director of the FBI lab, a gentleman named Chris Hassel who invited me to the lab in Quantico, the FBI lab. And he suggested that I meet with a cryptanalyst named Daniel Olson, who might make an interesting subject for a profile. Uh, so I went to the FBI lab and I met with Dan Olson. And Olson was sort of this old-fashioned um, cryptanalyst who had worked on a number of cases. And so he started giving me a little briefing on the various cases that he'd worked on. Uh, and most of these cases involved, you know, secret messages passed uh, between members of prison gangs and so on. But there was one case caught my attention, and that was an espionage case involving a bunch of of uh, codes. And so that's how I got into this story about uh, Brian Regan who is, is sort of the, the spy who couldn't spell that I write about in the book.
1: That's interesting as to how you came upon the story. It's, I'm always amazed as to how these kinds of things uh, are ferreted out. And Do you think uh, since this story or the arrest happened two weeks before 9-11 that this case was kind of lost in, in light of the strategic strike on U.S. soil?
0: That's an interesting question, Fred, and it's funny you ask, because when I heard about this case from Dan Olson, the cryptanalyst, I thought, my first question was, well, when did this take place? And when I heard that the events had taken place between 1999 and 2003, I was immediately dismayed because I was quite certain that such a juicy story had been written up already. And then I realized, or rather, I I, was, I, I learned from from Dan Olson that um, uh, Brian Regan got arrested two weeks before 911, and then Brian Regan's conviction uh, and sentencing happened uh, about 15 or 20 days after the U.S. went to war in Iraq in 2003. So his story sort of got buried in between these two, you know, very significant news events.
1: Yeah, and it's a good read, uh, The Spy Who Couldn't Spell. Uh, now, you digit it when you're looking at this case. What, what draws you to spy stories? I see that you've also written others along these lines. So why spies?
0: Well, I've... Uh you know i'm I'm really interested in in questions uh in the theme of loyalty to once you know the place that one one calls home, and that might have something to do with uh with sort of my own status as somebody who who moved to the United States from India uh more than twenty years ago as a graduate student. And so sort of this idea of belongingness, uh, loyalty, uh, service, they're they're kind of integral to my to my thinking. So I'm drawn to stories of espionage for that reason, but also just because, you know, espionage stories have a lot of cool things going on within them. Yeah, no doubt. Um, You know, I love to dig up stories where things are not what they seem. Uh, you know, and certainly spies operate in a realm where uh, what you see is not what you get.
1: <laughs> no, no.
0: Uh, that's what has drawn me to these stories.
1: Yeah. And uh, I know from just uh, being a special agent, uh, the one thing you learned in basic agent training is uh, there, there are no friendly intelligence services, which uh, uh, people are shocked when they've heard me say that. But now when you think of Brian Regan, who is the the Spy Who Couldn't Spell, I immediately, when I picked up this book, I'm thinking this individual had to be working for the Russians or the Chinese, but he wasn't.
0: Yeah, he wasn't. And, you know, he's sort of an unusual spy. I mean, he's, you know, we, we call him a spy because spying is what he was attempting to do. Uh, but usually spies technically, are people who've already been recruited by another intelligence agency, you know, in order to collect information. Whereas Brian Regan was more of a traitor uh, who was planning to sell and trying to, and almost succeeded in selling information, secret information from the United States to countries in the Middle East, um, uh, including... Iraq and Iran and Libya.
1: And that in itself is uh, fascinating to me with the psychology of this spy because uh, having lived in that world and investigating acts of terror that have been Libyan sponsored or Iranian sponsored in the course of my career, uh, I can't fathom why someone that's worthy of trust and confidence that used to be uh, you know listed on our special agent credentials would do something like that. What was his motivation?
0: So there's uh, there's sort of a, a surface motivation and then a deeper one, and I explore both of those in the book. The surface motivation was just personal greed. Brian Regan uh, had four kids, and he had a wife with some expensive habits. He just needed much more money than he was making uh, as a master sergeant at the National Reconnaissance Office, which is where he worked. And so he was also coming up on retirement. He had spent 18 or 19 years in the Air Force, uh, and he was not going to rise above the rank of master sergeant. And so the only way that he could continue to stay in the military beyond the 20 year mandatory retirement r- limit was to get deployed overseas which he really didn't want to do and so he asked for an extension he wanted to stay on and uh and the military refused that request and so i think he was extremely worried about his income once he retired from the Air Force, and that's why he started making these plans. That's the surface motivation. But there's a deeper psychological reason for why Brian Regan committed this act of treason, and that was his dyslexia and his feelings of inadequacy and his feelings of of victimhood as a kid growing up in the 70s when schools and teachers and parents knew far less about uh, learning disabilities than they do now. And so Brian Regan grew up and went through most of his career being seen as unintelligent uh, and not very sophisticated, basically being seen as, as dumb. And he certainly was not dumb. He was kind of foolish in certain ways, but he was also very smart in other ways. And so there was this great mismatch between how he felt about himself and how he knew the world felt about him. Uh, and so he needed to validate himself. And I think he he had this desire to kind of show the world ultimately uh, that he was smart and that he could get away with something that they didn't dream he could ever even think of.
1: We'll get back to the spy who couldn't spell in a minute, but I wanted to mention that we have a whole list of very good authors that we've interviewed on our Pen and Sword podcast, to include our subject matter expert analysts that cover the world probably better than any other that I've ever been associated with, You can find pretty much any kind of geopolitical analysis from economics to terrorism to how the world works on our website, Stratfor Worldview. I like it because I take a look every day at uh, our coverage around the globe, what's taking place in the Middle East, uh, things breaking now such as coronavirus, hostilities uh, in uh, Iran. It's the first thing I look at in the morning and the last thing I look at at night stratford.com slash subscribe. That's amazing from just the psychological profile. I've read a lot about the profile of obviously uh, intelligence officers or defectors and so forth. And when when you look at uh, uh, Brian Regan, he's certainly a very complex man with, with those different motivations. And was there ever any evidence that you uncovered, you digit, that he maybe had tried to walk in and and uh make contact with the with the Russian KGB or the you know the Chinese uh, PLA in any capacity
0: well so uh he didn't try it with the Russians but there is actually a scene in the book where uh he walks into a Libyan consulate in Switzerland trying to market his wares if you will uh i think we were discussing earlier if he was a conventional spy or not. No, he wasn't. He was somebody who was trying to commit espionage. And so what he did was he collected all these secrets and then he was trying to find a buyer for these secrets. And so he introduced himself to the Libyans. He attempted to convince them that he had material that he could sell to them. And this meeting didn't really last very long, partly because of the unsophisticated approach that he made, and he was simply shown the door at this consulate in Switzerland. You know, that's the closest he came to actually dealing with other foreign intelligence officers, and he did not succeed. But but he had this whole plan to do that same type of thing with the Iraqi embassy, you know, with the Chinese embassies when he got arrested. So he got arrested as he was about to leave the country to make a second attempt at marketing the secrets he had stolen.
1: So he chose not to try to, uh, you know, I remember when we closed the Libyan uh, consulate in Washington, D.C. I was actually there that day. um, Uh And so he made no attempt to visit any of the usual suspect uh, uh hostile nation states uh, inside the United States.
0: No, he did not so here's something interesting about Brian Regan, and again, this speaks to his uh his smarts and his meticulousness, which is something that always kind of you know stayed under the hood and was not apparent to his colleagues or or people that knew him. He studied a lot of counterintelligence cases. You know, he he looked them up through his job at the NRO. He he looked up, you know, a a bunch of old cases, and he tried to figure out what were the mistakes that spies or traitors before him had made uh, that had led them to get
1: caught. That's fascinating.
0: You know, that's when he realized that Russia couldn't be trusted that that there was a period in the 1990s when our spies, or rather agents that we had recruited from within the KGB uh, and the GRU were in fact turning in American spies who were betraying America. And so he was very, very suspicious of Russia uh, because of that knowledge. And he thought that if he approached the Russian intelligence, then he might be ratted out by somebody within Russian intelligence who was working for the United States.
1: That's actually uh, fairly brilliant on his part from a tradecraft perspective, uh, you know, delving down in the weeds to figure that out. And
0: uh,
1: mm-hmm. he's probably calculating in his mind at the time that uh, there would be less Surveillance of activity in Europe than than here inside the United States and so forth.
0: That's exactly right, Fred. That's you know my book starts with the FBI getting its hands on an anonymous letter uh, that had been sent to the Libyan consulate uh, in New York, and so in the book, of course, the story unfolds as uh, the events uh, happen. That, that letter turned out to be one that Brian Regan had, uh, had mailed. And so that was his way of contacting Libyan intelligence and offer to sell secrets. And that's how the FBI got on to him, even though it took a lot of investigation in order to determine who had mailed in that letter.
1: Yeah, that's, that's most interesting to me. Uh, now, uh, clearly the uh, FBI counterintelligence efforts here, although it seems to have taken a while, they were able to crack this uh, mysterious code and identify Regan. Were you ever able to talk to Regan?
0: No, I wasn't able to talk to Regan because Regan is one of, I guess, you know, there's a few dozen federal inmates who are placed under uh special restrictions and are not allowed to interact with the outside world uh or with the media it's it that that's not to say that he's in some kind of lockdown uh 24 hours a day you know he mingles with the prison population i should say that he's serving a life sentence he's certainly not out in the world for me to be able to go in contact but you know i have interviewed federal inmates in the past and I tried to do the same thing with Brian Regan, but the government would not lift those restrictions. So I had to piece everything together uh, from other sources.
1: You did, it in studying this man and his motivations and so forth, what is the most interesting thing that you learned in the course of putting this book together?
0: Well, I thought the most interesting thing was Brian Regan's character. Uh, the fact that Uh, Brian Regan was so sort of deceptive. Uh, I mean, not, not almost not by, by design, you know, it was, he just had this deceptive personality that on the surface from the outside, he seemed to be awkward and slow and generally not very bright. You know, he wasn't like a very well-spoken person and yet he just had a lot of cunning, and he had a lot of issues that he was working through. He had a lot, he had a sense of aggrievement towards society. Uh, and so as a as an employee of, of the intelligence services of, of American intelligence, he was somebody who was kind of the perfect candidate to be a spy, because you would never suspect that he was a spy. And so that's what made him so interesting to me. That, that uh, you know, usually you hear about spies who are full of themselves, you know, who have a chip on their shoulder, right? Uh, and you can see it from the outside. And with Brian Regan, you couldn't see that from the outside. He did have a chip on his shoulder. He did feel that he was a lot smarter than people gave him credit for. That was one of the psychological drivers that led him to make the choices that he did.
1: Well, thank you for writing such a compelling spy story, uh, The Spy Who Couldn't Spell by Udigit Bacacharji. And uh, thank you for being on the Stratfor podcast today.
0: Well, thank you so much, Fred. It was great to speak with you, and thank you for your service to this country.
1: And for those of you who would like more information about Stratfor analysis, please visit stratfor.com slash subscribe. And I'm Fred Burton.